Welcome to the Royal Ties edition of Political Traction. I'm your host, Amanda Galbraith. Some traditions stand the test of time, while others meet their expiration date 400 years after they began. In a ceremony filled with fanfare and a celebrity or two who, quote, shine bright like a diamond, Barbados bid farewell to the British monarchy in favor of becoming a republic. Which got us asking, what's stopping Canada from doing the same thing? Our guest this week to talk about that is J.J. McCullough. He's a prominent Canadian YouTuber and a weekly columnist for The Washington Post. You've definitely seen his political takes, and he's an outspoken anti-monarchist who has been a prominent voice in Canada's Republican movement. This is Political Traction. We have a very cool and kind of special guest on the podcast today. Um, I saw this week, as many of you probably did, that the uh, Barbadians, the Barbados has decided they no longer want to have a relationship with the Queen, which naturally, of course, kicked off somewhat of a little bit of a debate in Canada that, that slowly went away. Um, but one such Canadian, uh, JJ McCullough, who joins us today, um, has kind of been fiercely fighting this battle uh, for a while. And uh, we wanted to have him on because I actually really want to get a, like the feel from the Republican side of this thing, um, you know, about this conversation, why we should get rid of the royal family. Um, I, for one, I quite enjoy the pomp and circumstance of it all. I do think it's a bit ridiculous, but, you know, it amuses me. Uh, but that being said, I also amused me to see Rihanna, you know, be there and be named a whatever of record and then sort of like fiercely go off into their own independence. So, JJ, what do you make of, of the Barbados decision? And do you think um, that is going to catch fire here in Canada? Well, I mean, I think it was a really sort of exciting moment for people uh, like me who have been sort of opposed to monarchy and fighting the fight for quite some time. You know, there is something like slightly over a dozen countries that have this kind of setup that Canada does with the British uh, royal family, where, you know, you recognize the, the British monarch as your head of state and you call her, you know, Queen of Canada or Queen of Jamaica or whatever. You know, and this is something that's been, I think, a kind of awkward fit for a lot of countries uh, in, in this sort of category and that there's been sort of discomfort with it. But I give Barbados a lot of credit for actually, you know, doing something about it, you know, like everybody complains about the weather, but no one does anything about it. Well, Barbados did. And they're the first country, I believe, in 30 years within the what they call the Commonwealth realm to actually cut these ties. And so I think as a result, you know, the last country that did it was uh, Mauritius in, in 1992, you know, a country I think most people have never heard of and didn't notice when that happened in the 90s, you know, obviously very different media climate. But Barbados doing it now at a time when I think there is kind of broad apathy towards royalty in a way we haven't ever quite seen before, I think makes it a moment that has really captured the interest, not just of Canada, not just of the Caribbean, not just of the UK, but the world. And I think sort of forced us to all kind of have a bit of a conversation about whether or not this monarchy thing is something that we're, we're interested in continuing doing for much longer. Yeah, and there's, I do kind of agree with you because I, I quite love, I, I, I'm fond of the queen. I think she's a kind of an admirable woman. Um, I don't mind her being on my money, but Charles is a different animal for me. I think also there's all the, the stuff wrapped up in Princess Diana and his sons and all the mm. political shit that we love to pay attention to. Um, <laughs> But for, so I think one that whenever that transition happens will be certainly a forced conversation here in this country. But the other issue is even if let's say we wanna do it to your point about everyone bitches about the weather but doesn't do anything is the political will to do it, right? Because 
to my mind, it's like, what, what prime minister would want to take that on in Canada? It would so totally absorb their mandate. Um, in addition, how do you have a conversation about the monarchy in Canada and not have a conversation about like the Senate and bicameral legislatures? And, you know, the, 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 so do you, like, how do you think, let's, let's say there's, cause I think we have a poll, like, like there was a poll by Angus Reid that said 52% of Canadians believe we should not continue with the constitutional monarchy. So it's a 50, 50 split with no effort at all on either side. Right. Yeah. Um, let's say there is some will here in this country, like on what planet, like, how do you think politically that would go? Well, I, I suppose it sort of depends in the context in which the idea would be proposed. And I do agree that you know, it's not going to happen until you have a prime minister who basically decides that this is going to be a priority. I, I disagree that it would necessarily sort of consume his entire mandate or that like the whole business of the nation would come to a screeching halt. I mean, I think that, you know, as the Barbados example, I mean, obviously Barbados is a very different country, but I do sort of think that, you know, there was some reporting on this and they were trying to, you know, ask sort of Barbadians in the street what they sort of thought about it. And a lot of them were just kind of confused and didn't really understand. <laughs> like it was kind of a bit of, it's a bit of like constitutional housekeeping. And I think if it's presented in that way, if it's presented as something that is, you know, frankly, not that big of a deal, I think it could be sold relatively easily, you know, that this is just kind of the next logical step for Canada as a development in its development as sort of a free and independent country. I think that, if I frankly wish this conversation was being was taking place in a more serious way right now, because I think the logical time to do it would be when the queen passes and then you have some sort of, you know, trigger mechanism in place that, you know, that is when Canada is going to formally cease this relationship, that we're not going to recognize Charles as, as our king, but rather sort of our relationship with the monarchy is going to die when, you know, the queen dies. I think that seems very natural because I, I do think that to the extent that anyone in this country is really, you know, self-identifies as a monarchist, quote unquote, they're really kind of more of an Elizabethist, you know, <laughs> that like people like the Queen, Queen Elizabeth has dominated the this conversation for so long. And everything about royalty is so ultimately bound up in personality, right? Like it is not, nobody is really, I think, that loyal to this idea of hereditary monarchy as a system. They're loyal to the idea of like the queen as this kind of like constant comforting presence in public life. And, you know, she's aged, you know, gracefully and has a certain dignity about her persona. And, you know, like there's been all this like psychological stuff as well that like we see her as a kind of surrogate mother or grandmother figure. And that when she dies, it'll be a kind of emotionally affecting way in that sort of context. So, but, you know, Charles, as you said, is does not have that same sort of emotional pull. And despite the best efforts, I don't think that Prince William and, and his wife have really ever wormed their way into anybody's heart in, in remotely the same sort of way. So I don't know, it just it seems like a, it seems like this we're at on the cusp of a very logical point of transition. And I think that the worst outcome, frankly, is just that we stumble awkwardly into some scenario where Prince Charles becomes King of Canada. And this seems awkward and weird and no one really likes it. No one really understands how we got there. And it simply becomes a kind of symptom to Canada's sort of chronic lack of ambition, lack of leadership, kind of apprehension 
you know, apprehension towards having a theoretically divisive debate, right? Like whenever I talk about this issue, people always sort of say things like, oh, well, it could be very divisive and people <laughs> might you know, get agitated about it. And like, does anyone really want to open that can of worms? Like it's all these like, I mean, I personally, like as an individual, always hate that style of argument where it's just kind of like, well, what if, what if people don't like it? What if people get angry or, you know, it's just like, I don't know, like no one has ever tried pulling on this particular thread. We're always sort of cowed by, I think, sort of the monarchist commentary class in this country to not go anywhere near it. And thus people who are just kind of don't feel strongly about it one way or another are just kind of like, eh, you know, it's not worth the fight. But, you know, as I said, the outcome of that kind of attitude is, I think, going to be a, an increasingly sort of embarrassing and immature state of affairs in which we will be recognizing a, a, a rather sort of like, uh, you know, unimpressive British king as, as the nominal head of this country. And can you just speak to, because you've been around this issue for a while, I definitely want to get into that, but like, we are a constitutional monarch, I mean, like, but in theory, yes, we have governor generals and we see all this stuff, but in Queen, is the, she's the Queen of Canada, but we have a fully functioning government. So let's say theoretically, this does dissolve. I mean, obviously there's lots of different avenues for it. What does that look like? What, what would change in most Canadians daily life? Well, I mean, I suppose that we would sort of gradually probably start ratcheting back uh, uh, references to royal this or that, or though it doesn't necessarily have to be the case. I mean, if we want to still have something called the Royal Canadian Mint, I guess we could. But, you know, like we wouldn't presumably have the Queen's picture and a little statement that says, by the grace of God, the Queen on every single coin in this country. You know, we wouldn't have the Queen's picture on the uh, on our money. More significantly, though, we wouldn't require all of our politicians, military officers, judges, and new citizens to swear that they will bear true allegiance to the monarch of Great Britain, which I think is one of the great sort of cringe uh, cultural fixtures of this country. You know, I don't know if you've ever been to a Canadian citizenship ceremony before, but, you know, I have many times. And it's funny how, like, the presiding officer always kind of has to sort of apologize for this bizarre thing that we make the new citizens of this country do. It's like, okay, well, now you're all going to have to take a, a sort of permanent lifelong oath of loyalty to the monarch of Great Britain and all of her heirs and successors, which is also what we make them say. But, you know, it, you don't have to take it that seriously. Like, no one really believes this in Canada. It's just a symbolic thing. Like this, I mean, if it's if if this stuff is so irrelevant, which I believe it is, then, you know, it shouldn't be that big of a deal to just, like I said, do the little bit of constitutional housekeeping and clean it up and remove these kind of awkward, embarrassing presences of Canada's colonial past from our contemporary independent present. Just curiosity. So I was in government in 2008 when uh, we had the whole um, kind of little bit of a crisis, I guess, where um, I think Gilles Duceppe and Leighton and... Liberal Dion. leader Dion did the whole handshake deal, and yeah. then it was like appealing to the governor general and da da da. da. So let's say we dissolve it. I, I'm yep. playing this out, and we have one of those scenarios. Okay. Where is the prime? Like, is the prime minister deciding himself? Like, does he have to take it to a vote of confidence, or do we have a GG like figure that's not a GG? Like, how does that well, work? There, so like there's different options, obviously, like, you know, in South Africa, you know, which used to be a sort of Commonwealth uh, Dominion like Canada, they basically just have their parliament make all of those kind of decisions, which actually I'm quite partial to. Like, I think in a parliamentary democracy, parliament should be supreme um, in, you know, in Barbados, they just renamed their governor general to be their president. And this is a sort of system that a lot of European uh 
post-monarchical countries use, where sort of like there's a president of Italy who does the same sort of rubber stamp functions that the king of Italy used to do, right? Or the president of Germany is, does some of the things that the Kaiser used to do, right? So these people are kind of, they're figureheads and they don't really have much power and, you know, they cut the ribbon at the new Walmart and all that sort of thing, right? And, or there's sort of the, the, there's kind of the middle ground is kind of what they have in Sweden, which is sort of interesting. This has sort of been in the news a fair bit recently. So like in the 1970s, the Swedes took all of their political power from their monarch. So they still have a nominal royal family, but they literally do nothing. Like they're like a tourist attraction. So as a result, all of that kind of, you know, discretionary parliamentary sort of management power, such as it is, is now held by the speaker of the Swedish uh, parliament which I think is a situation that you could imagine happening in Canada as well. You know, I think the Speaker of the House of Commons is seen as a relatively nonpartisan sort of neutral mediating type of figure. So I think it's easy to imagine that if we are someday to go down the road of having, you know, uh, uh, you know, coalition governments and things that need to be sort of managed by some sort of overseer, I think it makes sense that, you know, uh, the Speaker of the House of Commons could be somebody that could sort of fulfill that role. But, you know, you, you could also, like I said, you could also just have Parliament just do straight up or down votes. Like, does this coalition government have the support of the Parliament? I think it makes, in some respects, a lot more sense for the Parliament to adjudicate that rather than some figurehead, uh, however they're chosen to make that decision. But again, you know, the path of least resistance would be to just do the Barbados thing and just make... Uh, you know, Governor General Mary May Simon, you know, President Mary May Simon, and it would be a kind of thing that would happen overnight and nothing else would really sort of change. Um, can, so I'm, I've been involved in politics, you've been around politics commentating, there's all kind of like arcane, you know, like fights and things that people love, people hate the census, um, they're super into like X policy. How did you like what are monarch? What are what are Republicans like? Because it's a term we use. We realize with with America, like you know, American mm. political party. But what are Canadian Republicans? And then, like as an anti-monarchist or however you want to frame it, like what is that movement like in this country? Is it robust? Is it concentrated in Quebec? Um, <laughs> what what's what's the what's the framework of that? And like, how did you get involved? I think it's actually much less of a Quebec thing than people often presume. Like, I think that a lot of Quebecers just really do not see this as their issue at all. Like, they see this as, you know, because obviously in the independent Quebec future, they're going to have nothing to do with the monarchy. So I think they tend to see this as a very sort of insular Anglo-Canadian kind of internal debate. So it is much, it's not really a, a Quebec-dominated thing at all. I think it's 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 a sort of somewhat, uh, it's definitely like a non-partisan issue in a way that I think people can overlook as well. I think there's people on the right who are very strong anti-monarchists. There's people on the left who are very strong anti-monarchists. I think it definitely sort of has a, a kind of populist sort of vibe to it in the sense that it's often animated by people that, you know, have a great resentment for unearned privilege. You know, people that, uh, you know, hereditary monarchy is obviously sort of the the most sort of highest manifestation of, of, uh, of unearned privilege that you can possibly have. People that just are kind of born into lives of wealth and luxury and power without having to do anything about it. And so I think that there's a lot of people that sort of naturally resent that. There's obviously a faction of people, I think, as well, who come from backgrounds where they associate the British uh, monarchy uh, uh, with imperialism and, you know, slavery and genocide and all sorts of other terrible things that the British uh, did around the world. You know, people that come from, say, backgrounds in, in India or in the Caribbean or in Africa 
or even, you know, parts of the Middle East where they don't really sort of see the monarchy as this kind of sentimental, charming thing that I think, you know, people in, in sort of the, uh, if I can sort of say, sort of like the white Anglo kind of mm-hmm. world do, they instead see it as a symbol uh, that their, you know, relatives and so forth sort of fought to be liberated from and they're not super happy about being in a country now where which they thought of as being sort of their beacon of freedom from the old world and instead having to you know continue to pay allegiance to uh to a a sort of what they would see as a sort of like imperialistic uh hangover but you know it's 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 a diverse crew i mean i always got into it because i am very uh pro-democracy like i that's one of my sort of core principles. I definitely think that the people should rule to the maximum extent as is possible in any organized society. And, you know, monarchy is, is obviously an unelected uh, abomination in that sort of sense, right? Like it's, it's the worst manifestation of an anti-democratic principle you can imagine where you have people that are not even, they're not, not even an undemocratic meritocracy, right? Like it's not, it's not even a system where people wind up in charge because some elite has decided that they should be in charge. It's a, it's a completely unearned elite that the voters really have zero control over. And thus monarchs and royals have zero accountability to the public one way or another. And I think that it's, uh, you know, we're a little bit better than I think in Europe, where at least, you know, you have a governor general who in theory has some mild ability, I guess, to the prime minister. But, you know, the idea that you could even have uh, royal people exercising any degree of authority over the decisions of your democratically elected side of government, you know, that you could in theory ever have a king or a queen overruling the will of the people, I just think is is really abhorrent. And I don't think that that's something that we should even recognize symbolically in a properly democratic country. Unearned privilege, unearned political power, you know, that's not what Canada represents to me. And I think it's I don't think it's what Canada represents to most people. And I do think it is, it's an anachronism in the old sort of sense of the word as, as something that is from another time that has survived despite all rational, uh, you know, explanation. Um, you've mentioned that there's, I think there's a lot, the logical sort of breaking point would be when the queen passes in theory mm-hmm. and Charles for some countries, right? Potentially for Canada, if we were big enough to have a conversation, which we clearly are not at this point. Um, <laughs> Are there any other, but there's still like a handful of countries that are in similar boats as us or where Barbados was with Barbados making this move, you know, first time in 30 years. Are there any rumblings that anyone else look at that ceremony and say like, hey, like political, that looks great. There's fireworks. Rihanna's standing there. She's now like a a shine bright, like a diamond. Um, I've got a new, like, like, you know, we're nation proud. Like to me, that's like a bump of 20 points in popularity. Like, are there, do you know, are there any other countries or leaders kind of looking, kicking the tires of this and saying, maybe we'll do this too? Yeah, well, I mean, I think that there are a lot of countries in the rest of the Caribbean. You know, I think that most of the, from what I, if I recall this correctly, yeah, like most of the Queen's quote unquote realms are in the Caribbean. <laughs> Which is insane, you know? by the way, her realm. That's so, anyway, even hearing you it say is. it, like, look, I benignly like the Queen. I'm like, she weirdly rules over like, all these places. No, it's- it's 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 it is quite absurd right like it's totally a system that we would never make today if it didn't already exist right but yeah like i mean most of these other countries you know jamaica and antigua and you know saint vincent and the grenadines and all these sorts of small caribbean nations like almost all of them from what i understand have a political class that is completely dominated by people that are at least nominally republican like there is no great will like they these the caribbean countries do not have like a monarchist subculture the way that you know canada and australia and the European countries do. So I think it is just kind of like a matter of time. I think that, you know, it's 
it's it's it's one of these things that everybody can always make the argument where it's like, well, there are more pressing issues to deal with, and obviously there are more pressing issues to deal with. But at the same time, it's not like everything comes to a grinding halt just because you want to do this sort of small snip, right? So I, I do think that the fact that Barbados was able able to sort of get this from idea to uh, you know to fruition in like I believe a year or so, like it wasn't, and it was something that was kind of like just working. Wow. Yeah, I, I think so. I believe so. Like it was, it happened relatively quickly. Like, you know, from, cause I remember making a video about this, I think almost exactly a year ago where, uh, you know, that was, they had a throne speech, ironically enough, where the, uh, they, uh, the Barbados. They did, I remember the throne speech announced there would be no more throne speeches. Basically it was like, they're yeah, done. Yeah. yeah. Right. And so that was around in, I think, yeah, January. Cause I remember making a video about it. It was in January of, of, of last year and, or of this year. And now we're at the end of this year and it all happened. Right. So I think that, uh, you know, and, and, you know, these, to be fair, these countries, I think, also have simpler political systems in terms of their constitutional amending process, where you can kind of get things through a bit quicker, particularly if the political class is completely unified behind the idea, which I think is the, is the case in that part of the world. I do think, though, that, like, if we're going to get out of the, the Commonwealth uh, a bit, I do think that there's questions in Europe as well that could provoke uh, sort of a bit of ball rolling. Like the Spanish monarchy, for instance, is very unpopular. And uh, the the old king of Spain, King Juan Carlos, who used to be seen as this sort of like great heroic figure, is like so disgraced that he like now lives in exile, and you know it's it's really sort of increased Republican sentiment in Spain. So I could definitely think like if I don't know enough about Spanish internal politics to know kind of how that would go, but you could definitely imagine if like one of the crowned heads of Europe is kind of democratically deposed, then that would sort of provoke a very, I think, serious conversation about the survival of monarchy, not just in the Commonwealth, but in general. And I think that that's something, when I sort of look back at my own career as a kind of agitator on this issue, I do think that there is sometimes a tendency to maybe think of this debate as occurring simply within this kind of like closed Commonwealth bubble, as opposed to the idea that monarchy in general is a political system that exists all over the world in lots of different forms, and I do think that we are in a moment now, a unique cultural moment that is making us just question the system a bit more broadly. And as a result, I do think that there's a possibility that, you know, that some of these debates could be starting to happen in the European democracies more and more. And then that will also kind of have a, uh, you know, an accelerating effect in, in countries like Canada that probably identify more with the democracies of Europe than say we do with small countries in the Caribbean. Um before you go, JJ, I did want to, because obviously we mentioned in the intro, you wear two hats. You have a Washington Post column, which you've had for a while, and you, you know, created all kinds of political conversation in the country, as I've, I've seen and read your pieces. And you also have a YouTube channel. Um, can you talk a little bit about, like, wearing those two hats and what you do with your YouTube channel versus what we can look for in your, in your column? Well, yeah, thank you. Um, I guess I definitely do try to keep those two realms of my life relatively separate. You know, like, my, no, and it's fair, because it's like, you know, I'm, I'm a complex person and I have multiple sides, <laughs> right? But it's sort of like, so it's like, I have this Washington Post column. I've been doing that for many years. I write pretty much on a weekly basis. And it's kind of the place where I, you know, describe my sort of hot takes on the political scene in Canada. You know, I've got my opinions on politicians and how this country should be run and what should or shouldn't be done and which bills should be passed and, you know, kind of standard political commentary. And so I do that in the post and people can take it or leave it. You know, I kind of have a somewhat sort of center right uh, orientation. So my columns reflect that kind of view of the world. But then very early on, I decided that my YouTube channel, which I've been doing for almost the exact same period of time, uh, I decided that I wanted to make that something quite different, like something that is not political, that is not partisan, 
That is not kind of obnoxious in the way that I think a lot of political commentary can be, particularly uh, sort of YouTube political commentary. You know, I think the world's got enough of, of that, loud people sort of yelling their political opinions at you. So instead, on my YouTube channel, I try to be something that's a bit less, uh, less biased, less partisan. I try to be more impartial. I try to, you know, just kind of talk about interesting things, sometimes in the, in the world of government, but, you know, more often in the world of, of culture and cultural analysis and, and looking at the different cultures of the world comparing them to what goes on in sort of broad American culture, which I would say includes Canada and sort of, you know, talk about phenomenon and things like, you know, food and national symbols and history and, and all this kind of stuff that's going on all over the place. Uh, and, and I like doing it. Like I like being a bit of a cultural investigator and a cultural commentator in a way that is distinct from being a political commentator. So those are basically the two sides of JJ that and people can pick and choose which one they like better. It's interesting, actually. There's not a lot of overlap between my audiences between those two. Really, very good. Well, yeah. and for those for the listening, um, JJ has I think half a million subscribers on your YouTube channel now. Yeah. So yeah. you're the premier Canadian commentator, basically. I think you're the biggest in the country. So it's a <laughs> privilege to have you here, and congratulations on that achievement. That's so no small, it's no small feat. Thank you. People like your stuff. So you should, everyone should go check it out. All right, well, we are over time. Um, JD, thank you so much for this. Uh, it was a very, very interesting discussion, uh, very reasonable discussion, and uh, I learned a lot. And, you know, I actually, it's funny, I'm coming out of this conversation thinking we actually should have a chat about whether or not we should be. You kind of flipped me a bit, which I was not expecting. So, right. well I done. Like you should do this three, 30 million more times, and then it'll, <laughs> it'll work. I'll do my best. Thank you so much. Thank you. Political Traction is powered by Navigator, Canada's leading high-stakes public affairs firm. Our show is produced by John Gardner, Kimberly Draypack, Matthew Barnes, and Thomas Ashcroft. A very special thank you to this week's guest, JJ McCullough. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate us online wherever you find your podcasts. You can also follow us on Twitter at Traction Polly. I'm your host, Amanda Galbraith. We'll see you next Friday.